Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Boston Sanctuary since 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the Boston metropolitan area and beyond. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. We're located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets in downtown Boston, Massachusetts. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. Faith, doubt, accursedness, devastation, exaltation, nostalgia, amnesia, baseball is a religion. I remember standing in my maternal grandmother's kitchen in Arlington. She's making pie from the thimbleberries we picked at her parents' farm in Littleton. The transistor radio on the counter is tuned to WEEI. And the little man who lives inside it is telling Nana everything that's going on with her boys who are playing baseball in a park, Fenway Park. I, the oldest and for some time her only grandchild, am curious about that park and her boys and why are we not there too playing with them? She tells me they wear red socks. I want red socks. This is among my earliest memories and it is suffused in kitchen light, beloved grandmother. Smell of baking pie, baseball. In the 1960s, when sociologist Robert Bella coined the term American civil religion, he was perhaps more than anything else speaking of the great American pastime. Although matters of personal religious belief, worship, and association are considered to be strictly private affairs, there are, at the same time, certain common elements of religious orientation that the great majority of Americans share, he wrote. He was speaking of symbols, values, and rituals that provide what he called a religious dimension to the fabric of American life. He was speaking about baseball. Baseball attracts fanatical fans as ardent as the most convicted believers. It builds ballparks that are no less than houses of God, a different kind of temple with a different object of worship. And baseball has the power to bring people together, to elevate and transform. On some majestic summer days, the crowd is one. In their book, All Things Shining, Hubert Dreyfus and Sean Durance Kelly write of the way that baseball galvanizes communities and anoints certain moments. Moments, they write, in which we sense that we are joined with other human beings in the celebration of something great, take on greater meaning when they are shared with a community of like-minded people who are experiencing the same kind of awe. Whether in church or in the baseball stadium, when you all recognize together that you are sharing in the celebration of this great thing, then the awesomeness of the moment bursts forth and shines. A pause in this rhapsody for a brief but nasty intrusion of truth. 
Baseball has occasionally fallen far short of this lofty ideal. Not all of baseball's moments have been shining. We all know that in 1919, the World Series was fixed, with at least eight Chicago players in the know or on the take. The mastermind of the fix was Arnold Rossheim, an unremarkable man who spent his evenings eating, drinking milk, and laying bets at Lindy's, a post-game hangout fewer than 10 miles from all three of New York's ballparks. In The Great Gatsby, F. Scott Fitzgerald based his Meyer Wolfsheim on Arnold Rothstein. And when the novel's protagonist, Nick Carraway, is introduced to Meyer Wolfsheim, he reflects, it never occurred to me that one man could start to play with the faith of 50 million people. The 86-year Curse of the Bambino also comes to mind, Boston's long, dark night of the soul. Like all myths, it has been self-perpetuating, enabling us to focus on the 1919 sale of Babe Ruth to the Yankees and to remain in denial about years of bad management and weak teams. Specifically, Tom Yawkey, who bought the team in 1933 and sank millions into Fenway Park, passed up superior African-American talent, insisting on an all-white team right through the 1950s. Shamefully, Boston was the very last team to break the color line. We failed to desegregate for a full 12 years after Jackie Robinson debuted for the Dodgers. Thank God, in 2004, Boston finally accepted that the reason the swans in the public garden weren't producing goslings was because the nesting pair were in fact not Romeo and Juliet, but Juliet and Juliet. And that same year, Massachusetts embraced equal marriage, and apparently that was penance sufficient to reverse the curse. <laughs> but at its best, Baseball has been a vehicle for integration and assimilation and acceptance. In the mid-1800s, French historian Jacques Barsoun said, whoever wants to know the heart and mind of America had better learn baseball. At the turn of the last century, immigrant communities embraced the central place of the game in American life. In 1903, Abe Kahane, editor of the Jewish Daily Forward, urged his readership, largely first-generation European immigrants, to allow their boys to play baseball, writing, let us not so raise the children to grow up foreigners in their own birthplace. As recently as five years ago, a young Korean woman told New York University President John Sexton that she wanted to take his course, which is entitled Baseball as a Road to God, because, she said, the two most important things to understand about America are baseball and religion. Baseball has been and remains a vehicle for bringing us all together, and the influence goes both ways. As it opened for its 100th birthday on April 12, 2012, the menu at Fenway included both hot dogs and sushi. And baseball has been a symbol of victory over despair, offering a candle of hope in the darkness and bringing out the best in us all. 
Fewer than six weeks after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt wrote the now infamous green light letter to baseball commissioner Kenneshaw Mountain Landis saying, I honestly feel that it would be best for the country to keep baseball going. If 300 teams use 5,000 or 6,000 players, these players are a definite recreational asset to at least 20 million of their fellow citizens. And that, in my judgment, said the president, is thoroughly worthwhile. On the night after last year's Boston Marathon bombing, the video board outside Yankee Stadium featured the Yankees and Red Sox emblems emblazoned with the words, United We Stand. Prior to the game, a moment of silence was observed to honor the victims of the violence. And after the third inning, the New York Yankees sang Sweet Caroline. Neil Diamond tweeted, thank you New York Yankees for playing Sweet Caroline for the people of Boston. You scored a home run in my heart. In the months that followed, Red Sox team members were regular visitors to survivors recovering in Boston hospitals. And on the anointed October night that they won the World Series, a steady stream of fans walked from Fenway Park down Boylston Street to lay their Red Sox jerseys on the marathon finish line. I want to conclude with my favorite baseball story. Brooklyn's Chush School serves children with learning disabilities. And at a fundraiser for Chush, after extolling the school and its dedicated staff, a father spoke plaintively. Everything God does is done with perfection, he said. But my child cannot understand as other children do. My child cannot remember facts and figures as other children do. Where is God's perfection in my son, Shia? I believe, he said, answering himself, that when God brings children like mine into the world, the perfection God seeks is the way that people react to them. And then he told this story. One afternoon, Shia and his father walked past a park where some boys were playing baseball. And Shia asked, do you think they'll let me play? His father approached one of the boys in the field and asked if Shia could play on his team. The boy looked around to his teammates. No response. This is the top of the eighth, he began, and we're losing by six runs. And then, I guess so. We'll try to put him up to bat in the ninth inning. Shia was ecstatic. He put on a glove and trotted out to short center field. And in the bottom of the eighth inning, his team scored three runs. In the bottom of the ninth, they scored another three runs. And then, as the story was told, there were two outs. The bases were loaded, and it's Shia's turn at bat. Were the boys really going to give away their chance? to win. Yes, they were. They handed him the bat, and the pitcher moved a few steps closer to lob the ball in softly so Shia could at least make contact. Shia swung awkwardly and missed. One of his teammates came to stand with him at bat, and together they held the bat and faced the outfield. The pitcher moved yet closer and gently tossed the ball to Shia, and as the pitch came in, Shia and his teammate swung and hit a low, slow ground ball to the pitcher. The pitcher
pitcher picked it up, the soft grounder he could have easily thrown to first and ended the game, but instead, he threw the ball in a high arc to right field, far beyond the reach of the first baseman. Everyone started yelling, Shia, run to first, run to first. Never in his life had Shia run to first. Wide-eyed, he scampered down the baseline. He rounded the base and headed for second. And by the time he had reached first base, the right fielder had the ball. He could easily have thrown it in, ended the game, but the right fielder threw the ball high and far over the third baseman's head, and everyone yelled, run to second, Shia, run! And Shia ran towards second base as the runners ahead of him deliriously circled the bases toward home. And as Shia reached second base, he lost his bearings, unsure of what to do next. The opposing shortstop ran to him, turned him in the direction of third base, and shouted, go to third, Shia, keep running. And as Shia rounded third, the boys from both teams poured in around him, shouting, Shia, run home, run home. And as Shia crossed home plate, the boys lifted him onto their shoulders. Shia, they chanted, Shia, Shia, Shia. Shia's father finished the story with tears streaming down his cheeks. And when he could speak, he said, that day, 18 boys reached God's perfection. Beloved spiritual companions, baseball is a religion. At best, it brings us together, it shines, it holds us all in an embrace of victory over despair. And at its very best, it brings out our best. In 1846, the great American poet Walt Whitman wrote, the game of ball is glorious. I see great things in baseball. It is our game, the American game. Baseball will take us out of doors, fill us with oxygen, give us a larger physical stoicism, tend to relieve us from being a nervous, dyspeptic set, repair those losses, and be a blessing to us. May it be so. Go Sox. Amen. <laughs>